Uh, all right, we are um, uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. I think I'm on. Um, so last week we kind of talked about, you know, the church's, church's uh, birthday, and it happened uh, around a time. What was, the, what was the event that we associate that time that we would say that the Holy Spirit came upon the people, the apostles? So it's Pentecost. Pentecost, and it meant how many days after the Passover? So it's 50 days, Penta, yeah, so, and I think sometimes Jesus was with them 40 days, Pentecost is like a Pentagon, five, so it's 50 days afterwards, or seven weeks, 49 days, um, after the Passover, so it's about 10 days, you know, maybe a week, weeks, 10 days after Jesus had departed uh, from there, that, that these events are occurring. Uh, we're actually going to see, you know, the, the rest of the day's events, we had to split it up into to two, we're going to cover... A lot today. Uh, hopefully, it's not taking too much, um, and so we're going to kind of hopefully go a little, little overview, um, the tops of the trees, and then kind of at the end, you know, summarize and see like what what does this all all mean? Um, so, any of you guys like magicians? Totally, I know it's like ninety degrees. <laughs> You're like. Take it or leave it. You're like, eh, you know, depends what kind of magician. I, when I was a kid, I was a huge, like, David Copperfield fan. Do you guys uh, remember, like, when he made, like, the Statue of Liberty disappear and, you know, all of those things? Even if, like, you know, I, I can't remember what it, how it came up in a class of mine a couple, uh, maybe like a year or two ago, and I brought it up on YouTube and, like, the whole theatrics about, you know, him standing in front. There's a crowd and... There's a Statue of Liberty, and they drop a blanket, and it's just not there. You know, there's like the boats in the harbor behind it, and then you know he makes it reappear. And and I was just always fascinated by those things. Even now, when like I watch a a magician, I'm always like, well, how did they do it? Like I, I kind of want to know how they did it or why they did it. And so if any of you guys are in that kind of kind of boat, you know, for some reason they they kind of draw your attention and pull you in. And so uh, as we kind of think today. You know, what's going on with the crowd um, that these people are drawn in for a particular reason. And some, you know, are, are uh, enthralled by what's going on, you know, and some are like, ah, you know, it's just an illusion. Like, ah, he's just, you know, and they kind of dismiss what's going on. And that's what we're going to see in the, in the crowd here. Um, the miracle, though, that we're going to see is not a, a trick. Uh, it's not an illusion, but it's actually what's, what's happening and how God is working. And so uh, that's where we, we've kind of drawn our attention, right here at the beginning. So we're going we're gonna to go through um, you know, close to 30 verses this morning uh, as we kind of talk through. But a lot of it is centered around um, what Peter is saying and that this crowd is being drawn around to pull them in to hear the message that, um, God has has placed on Peter's heart. Um, I don't think he had prepared that morning. Like I'm going to preach this sermon. I'm gonna, you know, he didn't. He, it's just kind of what happened because of them being in the upper room, them being faithful. We don't see any uh, evangelism at this point. They've all been kind of hearing what Jesus is saying in the last ten days. All we know is that um, that they're just preparing, you know, being waiting for the Holy Spirit. And so we looked at those events last week. Uh, about the Holy Spirit coming. And so uh, last week, too, people were gathered around. They're all from different areas coming into Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks. This is that festival that's 50 days after. Um, and what the Jewish Greeks uh, would call 
um, or Greek Jews, again, however you want, um, uh, how they would call um, that Feast of Weeks, they would call it the 50th or the 50 days afterwards. And so they're from all over the, the um, Roman Empire, and they all have kind of their certain dialects that they would speak locally at their, their, their homes. And they're hearing these Galileans who are from a rural area speak their language, and it's just kind of interesting and, and pulling them in to uh, hear what's going on. And so verse 13, um, well, I guess before that, um, you know, verse 12, we read, All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Like, why are these people speaking the languages that we speak, and how are they doing that? But others were mocking and said they are filled with new wine. And so that's where we pick up today, that um, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since only the third hour of the day. Um, so the crowd is gathered. It's a large crowd. We see that more. It's a large crowd. Well, one, not only of the dip- different representations of the, the places where people are from. Uh, so there's a, a large, you know, uh, a diverse population that has kind of come to hear them speaking. Uh, but we also will see at the end of this that there is a large amount of people that um, will be uh, responding to the message that we hear. So a large crowd is gathering around them. And Peter addresses the accusation of drunkenness. And he says it's only the third hour of the day. Um, do you guys know how the Jews would mark out like their first hour? Like what's the first hour of the day? It's probably, yeah, so 6 a.m. So when, they, when the sun rises is when the first hour of the day is how they would describe that. So when they say it's the third hour of the day, it's only 9 a.m. And Peter says... Hey guys, it's only 9 a.m. You know, we haven't, we haven't, you know, people don't start drinking wine until their meals later on in the day. And so we're not drunk. And that's, that's the accusation that he wants to kind of head off, um, in regards to that. A little bit more, uh, in a second. Um, but he says it was uttered, uh, this was, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Verse 17, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So um, you've got these people here, you know, again, people gathering around. Some people start to kind of dismiss what's going on. And Peter, you know, feels like he needs to step forward and say something about this, and say, like, listen, we're not drunk, and let me explain this. Because, normally, you know, a lot of times when something kind of amazing is happening, people will, you know, there's always the scoffer, there's always the skeptic. And, and I, you know, in some sense, I, I'm always like, 
kind of like intrigued, like I wonder how it's working and thinking like that. And I'm usually, in my back of my mind, I might be skeptical about certain things. Um, many people do this with Christianity, right? You know, you start getting in a conversation. Some people just want to dismiss it as far as like, you know, listen, I, you know, I don't want to hear anything that you're having to say. Like these people are just drunk. These people are just out of their mind. Uh, as far as Christians, they believe in fantasy. They believe in things that, you know, um, maybe it was important when uh, we hadn't evolved yet and our brains needed some sort of deity to latch onto. And so people will kind of dismiss these things. Um, and so it's interesting how Peter addresses this particular crowd. We'll kind of talk about this uh, a little bit at the end, but maybe make note of that. And we'll also kind of take note because there's several times that people, different people groups are addressed in Scripture. And it's interesting to see how uh, the apostles address those particular groups and in what ways they do that. Um, and so he is speaking, though, the group that he is speaking is to devout Jews, right? He says, uh, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Um, so and it was earlier said in, uh, in I think, verse 10, around there, um, and there were devout Jews that were coming around. So they would, have been, they would have been understanding of the scripture. And so where does he first go? Where does he first, what does he first address? The thing he first addresses is one of the prophets that they would have known about. And he wants to bring them understanding and understanding about like why these events, these things are happening. And so he addresses a well-known you know, set of verses. Because for the Jews, they're waiting for their Messiah to come. And Jesus had been teaching the last few years, but these devout Jews that had come around, you know, that are here for the, uh, for the Feast of Weeks, uh, that were there for the Passover, they haven't placed their faith that this Jesus was the Messiah, right? They're still, if they had, they would have hung around and been a part of that 120 uh, that, that is still following Jesus, that would have been around to see him after the resurrection. But they're still... Uh, under the understanding that the Messiah is going to come. But, but for all Jews, they would have understand these, these verses along with other verses that would describe when the Messiah is going to come, that there is going to be a judgment. These verses were always said in times of uh, either, either before an exile or during an exile about what God is going to do in the future. And then in the future, it was these verses were actually verses of hope. Um, that God would say, listen, there's going to be a time that my spirit is going to be poured out upon you. There's going to be a time that you're going through difficulties and frustrations, but guess what? There's going to be judgment upon, I know you're feeling like you are um, under attack right now or you're being oppressed, but there will be a time that, there will, that you will be free from these things. And they would have known these verses, like right here that, uh, from the prophet Joel. And so Peter uses these verses to kind of say, hey, listen, like, you may think we're drunk, but actually, I want you to say, like, what's going on right now is just be aware that this is something that is a part of what God had, had foreordained, that God had used these prophets to, to talk about. And so he hits them right in an area that they would have been familiar with. A lot of the uh, New Testament writer, you know, writers do that. And we'll see Paul when he goes to a Gentile crowd and we get to Acts 17. He does the same thing, but in a different way. Addresses them where they're at and appeals to them where they're at and then kind of walks them through uh, you know, a, a rational understanding about you know, where they're at and how God is working. And then we will see the, the, the thrust and the core of the message in just a second. So he says this. So what is what is uh, what is um, 
the, the verses that he quotes, uh, it's found in Joel 2, 28 through 32. And it's, it's almost verbatim uh, what you have here in Acts. Um, in the last days, well, uh, Joel says something a little different, but Peter is kind of saying what Joel is referencing and would have been referenced in other places in Scripture and is applying that and saying, in the last days, it shall be, God declares. And so really, this is God speaking through the prophet Joel. He says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Well, Peter and all the apostles know because of the vision and because of the rushing wind and the experience that they've had, that this is the Spirit. Like Jesus said, the Spirit's going to come, and they're like, I think this is it, right? So they have this understanding that this is the Spirit has come. And so that is what was uh, prophesied through Joel. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. So again, we you know, like... You know, for a Jew, they would have been like, oh, I don't know how these things will play out. I mean, if, says, if they said, like, people will dream dreams and have visions and prophesy, it's kind of, like, broad and vague. Like, I don't know how these things are going to look. And Peter's like, some of this is happening right now. He says, my female, male servants and female servants, uh, they shall prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on earth. And then you start to see some of these, uh, this other language. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. So they would have understood what was happening. So as we understand this going on at those moments, like Peter doesn't know if the rest of what Joel is talking about is going to happen as well. But he knows that the things that have, has, has been said uh, through the prophet Joel, that that spirit is being poured out and it's, starting to, it's going to start to work its way through the rest of the world. And, and that's what we get to have the privilege of seeing as we go through more of Acts. So he says, in the last days. So the, one of the questions is, is, are we in the last days? There's a lot of debate on, are we in the last days? But Joel, you know, Peter says, yes, we are you know, picking up where Joel's at. You know, if these things are already happening, yes, we are in the last days. Now, what does that mean? The last days meaning like the, day, the days that, the, that God, God's uh, working through his plan of salvation. His plan of salvation now is pouring out his spirit on people and working through people. Um, now, in those times, Joel's like those first couple of verses of Joel, like that's quoted here, uh, verses 17 and 18. Um, you know, Peter's saying these things are happening now. People are going to prophesy, people are going to dream dreams, kind of all of these things. And we actually do see all of those things happen throughout the book of Acts. Right now, they're speaking in tongues, and it's kind of this like, I don't know how this is happening, but it's obviously the Spirit working in a particular way. And what are they saying? The reason why you could say it's prophecy is because they're speaking about God, right? And that's the whole, the whole thrust of the message is that, that God is working, God is doing something, and we're going to hear Peter um, reveal uh, to, to this group you know, how God is particularly working. Now, the other two verses, uh, as far as the sun being turned to darkness and the moon to blood, we haven't experienced that yet. And so, how do we look at Joel's prophecy? We kind of look at, like, in the end days, that these will be bookends. And that in the beginning, you shall see these visions and dreams and prophesying happening. And then at the end, you'll see the, the moon to blood and the sun turn to darkness and all of those things. And the day of the Lord will come. So, right here at Pentecost, we see the beginning part of Joel. 
And then we're waiting for the, the ending part of Joel, which is kind of sandwiched in in this last days, this great day of the Lord. So there is like a day of the Lord where the, day, the Lord will actually return. But we are in that, the last days in the sense that we are in the days that uh, God is working through his people, pouring out his spirit through people. People are saved by receiving the Holy Spirit, uh, by placing their faith in Christ. And then what is the end result, though? I mean, Peter's, I don't know if Peter's emphasis was to really focus in on the judgment, although they would have understood that to be the case, that judgment is going to occur. But verse 21 is really kind of the main emphasis. Like, I want you to know all the things that are going around, but the reason all those things are signs for you, verse 21, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what's the main purpose of all these signs is to point people and to say, like, uh, I better call upon the name of the Lord. Like, wow, all these people are prophesying and having visions. That's great. I'm going to go grab lunch. Like, that's not what, you know, Peter is saying, right? And that's not what the prophet Joel was saying. It was like, wow, people are doing things that are distinct and that are unusual and it's attributed to God. I better get myself right with God. I better make sure that I call upon the name of the Lord and not let this thing pass by. Because if I do, there will be an end to this, and there will be a day of judgment, and it will be too late. And so he kind of points that to say, you know, like, hey, listen, these people aren't drunk. Let me quote Joel for you. And it kind of maybe gets their minds, like, thinking, like, you know, intrigued, pulled in a little more as to, like, you know, go on, keep talking. So he does. And so we see the message of the miracles, right? The meaning of the miracles is point to what Peter is about to say, and that's the message here. And so that's is verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. We'll kind of put a pause there. In the future, anytime that Jesus is mentioned to a group of Jews, like they're usually like, all right, stop talking. But right now, Jesus um, is kind of like, you know, they're still not sure quite like who Jesus is. Like they haven't quite um, placed their, you know, they haven't seen Jesus quite yet as that wall, that dividing point in what they believe. Um, It's only been 50 days since Jesus was crucified. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, So when he says Jesus... They're like, you know, and he says that he was a man of God. Uh, if you remember in John 3, 2, uh, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So there was a recognition by even the Jewish, Jewish leaders, the establishment, that Jesus was sent from God. Which was why a little bit later they had to say, well, we need to get rid of him because he's kind of actually like getting in our way um, of, of what God has called us to do. And so uh, for them, they would have been like, okay, yeah, and it, he did some things. I remember, you know, some of them might have been around in Jerusalem at that, at that time when he was doing some miracles or when he was teaching. Um, they might have been traveling through some of the other areas, you know, traveling through on their way to Jerusalem if they were coming from the north. They might have gone through some of those towns that Jesus was going around in Galilee and healing people. And they might have heard, you know, like stories of, of who Jesus was. And so 
So Peter, you know, goes right straight through. Remember what Joel said? Let me tell you about who Jesus is. So it's, it's, it's a kind of a hard turn to go there. And he points to the real miracle, which is the resurrection. So verse 23 says, so this Jesus, right, you yourselves know God sent him. And they'd be like, eh, eh well, maybe. I, mean, I might be on the fence on that. And Peter's like, no, 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 you know. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, and am I not be shaken? Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also who uh, will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter continues, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, David's not speaking of himself when he's quoting these verses. So being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, which David had talked about in the Davidic covenant, he says, continuing verse 31, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out Uh, this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing for David did not ascend into heaven but he himself says the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool okay so um, so so Peter you know again continues and he talks about Jesus and then he pulls David in because they you know he says you crucified Jesus they would have been there during that time um more on that in just a second. Uh, but he then quotes David in uh, one of his psalms, actually a couple of his psalms, and he says, you know, you heard that David had talked about the Messiah in a particular way. Um, psalm 110, uh, Jesus had quoted when he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And Jesus, when the Pharisees came to him and asked him, you know, who's he? Or actually Jesus said, who is he talking about? And they were like, I don't know, who, who is it? And so Jesus had to kind of let them know that David is not talking about himself, and he's not talking about the Father, but he's talking about this Lord, um, or it's the Lord talking to his Lord about somebody else. And Jesus kind of was alluding that that's talking about me. And he says, Peter continues, and he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter says that Jesus is Lord and Christ. Connecting these two terms, like he might have been considered Lord, and that was a, a term of uh, affection sometimes, where um, as master, sometimes disciples would have called their um, their teacher that, you know, usually we called him rabbi, but sometimes Lord. But he connects the idea of Christ, which was the Greek term for their Messiah. This, that Jesus, who is the, his Lord, who's also their Christ, that you crucified. 
Jesus whom you crucified. So, Jesus, whom you know was sent by God, and who David had said would be sent here, that he would not be abandoned to Hades. And so they're like, okay, you know, because their claim was that Jesus had been resurrected. And he's saying, David had talked about this happening. And so for them, they're, they're hearing it out and they're listening. Earlier, he said that, you know, he, Jesus was crucified by lawless men. And then he talks about David and then he says and repeats again, he says, it's this Christ whom you crucified. And that's kind of like the bomb that gets dropped on them. And so they're hearing him out. What you're seeing around what's going on externally, Joel had talked about. And let me talk about this guy, Jesus. And they would have been like, yeah, I remember Jesus. You know, again, heard stories. I was here. Um, And let me talk about David. David talked about these things happening. And, And for them, there would probably been a lot of emotions that they would have been feeling. It says that they were cut to the heart. Um, what do you, you know, what does that mean? Has anyone ever been like cut to the heart <laughs> when somebody has said something? Yeah, you know, it's like that strong conviction. Um, David felt like that when, you know, remember after he had had his affair with Bathsheba and Nathan the prophet came and he's like, let me tell you a story about this guy and a sheep, you know, and, you know, David's like, you know, that, you know, the guy who takes, who has sheep, but then he takes this guy's one sheep and, you know, and David's hearing the story. He's like, the injustice of it all. You know, you got to do something about that. Nathan says, that's you. And he's like, <gasps> you know, it's, it's, it's like the thing when your kid says something like, you know, uh, well, you do that, dad. And you're like, uh, <laughs> We all need Jesus, <laughs> you know. I mean, that's like, that's like you know, how, how it feel. But you have that conviction sometimes. Um, and so for them, you know, that they're coming here for a celebration. They're coming here to uh, celebrate uh, the grain harvest. And, you know, um, for some of them, it would have just been like, again, tradition. It would have been like getting people together and families together and you know, making their travels or doing their religious duty. And so they came to the city you know, they kind of get pulled in by hearing some crowd, and you start talking, and, you know, and then you're like, whoa, I'm here, here to hear this message. And you guys ever hear anybody do, like, uh, street preaching? Like, you're just walking around. Like, I remember when I was at Georgia Tech, uh, even actually when I traveled to uh, a lot of college campuses for my work, um, I would just be walking through campuses because I had to meet with different officials, and sometimes somebody would be street preaching, and that would just, like, stop me, you know, and you have people that are, like, mocking, you know, and then some people are just like listening, but you've got a crowd that's drawn in and some are just like hearing out what this person's saying and processing. Um, I remember I I had to meet with somebody on campus and I was wearing a suit and I stopped and was listening to this guy and this girl was like, I I guess looked at me because I was wearing a suit and was like, you know, like you need to tell this guy, you know, he needs this, I don't know, whatever he's saying is nonsense. And I was like, well, everything he's saying is true. And she was like, uh, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, I, I thought maybe you were on my side. Um, and uh, and so, so you get kind of this, and they're hearing this, and the way Peter is, is, is unveiling this thing is, is uh, remember Jesus? And they're like, well, that was like seven weeks ago. You know, I mean, that was like kind of long. Yeah, but I remember Jesus, you know, for a few years. He had, 
And he had made his way into Jerusalem, and we heard about this thing that had happened. And for some of them, they would have been in that courtyard. I mean, when we see how large the crowd is, you have to know that some of them would have been there. That would have been like, crucify him, that were chanting, you know, uh, like, let Barabbas go, like, send Jesus up there. For some of them, they would have been intimately involved. Others, they would have, like, known about what had happened and uh, had that kind of an understanding about what had happened. And some, you know, um, are, are listening and, and, you know, seeing, like, what's, what's going on. And Peter's kind of, like, laying out for them, you know, that Jesus, you remember you heard about it? You remember David. Again, they're devout Jews, so they would have known these verses. Um, again, Jesus had, had mentioned some of these verses before, and the Pharisees were like, yeah, yeah, we know the verses that you're talking about. And so they would have been known to most men. And he's like, listen, you know, David was, you know, praised God and said, like, my, my, you know, praise you that my soul will not go to Hades, or sorry, my flesh will not go to Hades and my soul will be with you. And so this whole thing about the resurrection, and they're like, yeah, you know, we heard about that. That, that was a little weird, you know, um, Jesus' body was probably stolen. That was what the, the priest said. And so, again, all this controversy and swirling emotions. And Peter just lays it out and says, like, this, this guy who you know is from God because of the things that he did, some of you were there and said, crucify him, crucify him. He says, you guys were responsible for that, for the one that David said would be the guy who came for you. And all of these things that like were swirling around again, like I, I didn't come to hear this message, <laughs> but I'm here, and this is the message that you've laid on me. That it says that they're cut to the heart, and they're just like stopped, you know, like you're like, ugh, like all these things, these emotions, these convictions are now coming upon them, and the Lord is working in their heart, and they're stopped cold in their tracks. And so, um, you know, because again, like. Even if they weren't there, and I just want to go, go back real quick. So go to Matthew um, 27. Because I think sometimes it's hard to think like, well, you know, out of thousands of people, how many happen to be in that crowd? Because there's going to be many thousands more. Um, tens of thousands of people. Like how many were, uh, were actually there? But if you go to Matthew 27, verse um, oh, 45. It says, right after Jesus was crucified. It's kind of like the... Like, maybe not everybody was at, that, at the scene, but everybody would have experienced, like, the things that happened. And it says, uh, verse 45, Matthew 27, Now from the sixth hour, okay, so what's the sixth hour? We know the first hour is six, right? So it's noon, right? Middle of the day. It says, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So from noon to three, like it's never dark in noon to three. That's like the high of the peak of, of where the, the sun is, that it's darkness, okay? So they would have been like, well, that's odd. Um, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, uh, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, this is, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so he gives up uh, his spirit. And verse 51 says, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Like, that would have been a big thing. Um, even though not all of them were able to go into the temple, um, that, you know, for a religious establishment, and those maybe who knew it, probably would have, like, heard about that happening. It says, from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. So there was an earthquake that happened, right? All these people there in Jerusalem, like, it's dark. <laughs> the earth shakes. 
And then you have this crazy thing that happens. Verse 52, the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who'd fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Like people saw like it's dark and there's earthquakes. And then, you know, those that had died are like appearing to people. And so this like event had happened, like probably hard to keep under wraps, right? Verse 54, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over him, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. So for pagans who were like earlier dividing up his clothes to be like, like the earthquake happened right as he died and the land was dark. Like, oh, you know, that must have been the Son of God. Like Jesus wasn't there for like the Roman centurions, right? He was there for the Jewish people and it was amongst them. And so again, Seven weeks later, you know, it's easy to dismiss things that happen. Like, you know, I mean, if you think like how long ago, you know, what happened seven weeks ago um, in the news? Um, it was like Labor Day weekend. So, you know, for you guys remember what happened Labor Day weekend, how fresh it was in your mind. You know, it's kind of a distant memory, but you can still kind of access that. Um, it was a, a few days after Hurricane Harvey came. Um, you know, Houston's still underwater. Uh, you know, now we've kind of had like two storms after that. And so our attention sometimes, you know, thinks about that. But think about the people in Houston, you know, that were there. And you said like, remember Harvey? And they're like, yeah, we're still experiencing Harvey. For the people in Jerusalem, it's like, remember what happened seven weeks ago? They're like, yeah, we were just here seven weeks ago. And it was just over there, the crowd and up on that mountain over there, you know, Jesus was crucified. And I was probably standing maybe somewhere where I'm at right now. And, you know, the rock started, you know, shaking. And so like they're in the place where all these things happen, like vividly reminding them. And as Peter is going through these things, it's, it's just pressing on their hearts that maybe that was, maybe I am responsible. And maybe all these things that, you know, that were said about Jesus, maybe that, that was true. And maybe he is this Messiah. And maybe all the things that Joel talked about, we're seeing it now. And, and I don't know. I mean, all these things that is, are being said are now coming together and are hitting them right at this moment. And so um, it said, you know, and, and so how do they respond? They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, they said, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? Like they, they, they're like, okay, like I think, yeah, I, I'm, I'm at that place where I'm like, yeah, that, I was... I do recognize who Jesus was. And I'm at that place. I do recognize that I am responsible for his death. So what do I do? What do I do about it? Like, how, how can I make this right? Like, how can I make up for this fact that, like, yeah, I was responsible for having an innocent guy killed, um, having a known uh, terrorist let free? Um, like, what, what can I do in order to be right with God? And I think as we think about this whole story, you know, we'll kind of wrap that up in just a couple of minutes. You know, we think about like maybe even our own lives and how we came to the Lord and like what were the events that surrounded our coming to the Lord. Like there were times that we probably were like, I don't want anything about God. Or maybe you grew up with it, but you're like, you know, I mean, it's just, I don't, it doesn't need to get too personal. But there were certain things that happened, certain events that happened where you didn't want to hear about Jesus or you really didn't want to accept the truth that, that you know, like the hymn says, that we were responsible for putting him on the cross, um, that, you know, that we are guilty 
But then at some point, like for whatever reason, it was either a particular sermon or a particular conversation or whatever it was, like at that moment, like we just realized, okay, now I'm ready. And so we're seeing this happen like to a huge group of people. It's kind of almost the first, it's the first like, you know, open air preaching, the first presentation of the gospel. And for a lot of them who'd been harboring this guilt for a while, like they realized, yeah, yeah, for three years we rejected Christ. And even at that last moment, we even said like, just get rid of them, just kill them. And now they're like, you know, we were wrong. We were wrong. And so Peter, you know, uh, now turns and he says that you too can experience the miracle that you're witnessing around us. Peter said to them, verse 38, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This is exactly what Joel had said, right? All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right? He says, it's for you, it's for your children, it's for everybody who feels far off from God. Like, everybody has access to God. And so Peter says, first, repent. What does that word mean? You know, that's, that's kind of, it's like one of those churchy words. And so, I know, we, got, we, we should hopefully all know the answer. But what, is, what does repent mean? It means turn around, right? It's actually this idea, it's like change your mind. Um, and so, but, you know, sometimes we have, like, change direction. Um, it's like kata nuas, and so the, the one, the nuas is your mind, and kata is to kind of upturn or overturn or change. And so change your mind, change your position, change your thinking on whatever you thought about Jesus, like, it needs to change. And so it's, you know, we always, we, we kind of say it's like our heart and our whole life needs to change and be reoriented towards Christ. He says, so first, repent. Repent, like whatever you thought about Jesus, repent. And now you need to start thinking about God, that Jesus was whom God said he was going to send. Who the prophet Joel talked about, who David talked about, this is who Jesus is. And that you, yes, are responsible. So now turn from your own selfish ways and turn to Christ. And then he says, be baptized. So repent and be baptized every one of you. So why does he say be baptized? What's the purpose of, of being baptized? What's that? So it's a public, yeah, confession, uh, a public recognition, a public identification that you might be here celebrating this Jewish event, but that you are now identifying yourself. Like, I want you to take this physical step and identify yourself and be, be open to others to identify yourself with Jesus Christ. And so he says, I want you to repent and be baptized and be brought into um, you know, the family of God here and now. So is it a requirement to get baptized? So no. It's not, a ba- it's not a requirement to be baptized in order to be saved. But it is an expectation, an expectation, right? Jesus commanded, make, you know, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I want you to go out and make disciples and then baptize them 
to, to bring them in, so they identify themselves, so it's a physical step that they're taking. It's just not, you know, I, I prayed a prayer and that was it. I want you to go one step further um, and, and identify with yourself. And it's also to identify with the community of believers um, who is a part of uh, this, this church that Jesus is building and the apostles are building in Jesus' name. So verse 40, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So it wasn't just like right after he was done, they were all like, you know, now raise your hand if you want to, you want to give your life to Christ. All right, everybody come over here um, and then do that. He had to continue, and he and the other apostles continue to exhort them. That word exhort is to implore or to plead, like, like please, save yourself from this crooked generation. Like, you and your people, and, you know, Peter's like, I'm a part of this, right? I, or I, I was a part of this. I, you know, all of the apostles were Jewish, and so they grew up that way. They, they were a part of this. He said, like, like, if you continue to leave yourself in the state that you're at, you're missing the Messiah who's come, you're missing Jesus Christ, and you're missing the fact that you, know, you will not be saved. Because only those who call on the name of the Lord, this Lord Jesus Christ, will be saved. And so he says, please, please, please. And he kept imploring them, not only Peter, but those that were around uh, that were part of this group that the Spirit had, laid, had uh, poured out upon them, were imploring those to be made right with God at this time. And so how many, so if we kind of step back, how many did we say were in the church when, uh, you know, that we're, we're praying in the upper room? So 120. And so how many are there now? So 3,000. So it's, it's, 20, it's a 25-time expansion from, from this group. So, you know, sometimes we think like, when churches grow, they go through these growing pains. I mean, that has been one. And we're going to see some growing pains about how that happened. Like, you know, how do you do that? There would have been like 25, you know, per person being baptized. It's, and they don't say where they went, you know, what kind of, what kind of uh, baptism it was and, and how they did it. You know, maybe they all went to the Jordan in order to get baptized. Um, but uh, 3,000 were added to the church that day. So... You know, so there was a lot of things, you know, and there's, you know, other, you know, could have, we could have dove deeper into what, you know, some of the, the, you know, things that David was talking about um, and looked at some of the verses. We could have looked at, you know, how other, you know, people view uh, Joel's words in Scripture because some use Joel's words as, you know, describing, is this really, are we in the last days? And, you know, but that's not really like the, the emphasis. I wanted to kind of like sweep through whole, all of what Peter said and how they responded and then kind of step back and maybe think, like, what are some of the takeaways that, that we can pull out from this? Um, one of those is Peter's apologetic. Uh, that term apologetic, like, because uh, what does that mean? You guys heard of apologetics? Yeah. Kind of, what's that? Making a defense. Making a defense. Yeah. Usually, you know, it's, it's linked to that, that term apology. Um, and usually you say, like, I'm sorry, you know, the reason I hurt you was, um, you know, I wasn't thinking, or I just didn't like what you did, you know. So that's kind of apology, but it is in making that defense for what, what you believe, right? 
And Peter, the way he, he does his apologetic is first he like identifies the reasonableness of what's going on, right? We're not drunk, right? It's, it's, this is 9 a.m. right here, right? And so he just wants to head that off. You know, you might be thinking, um, you know, what I believe is ridiculous, but, you know, I'm a reasonable person. Um, because I think sometimes you can just cast aside everybody and say, like, well, you believe this, you must be, like, wrong in every part of life. So Peter, like, uh, addresses the reasonableness of what's going on and why he's saying what he's saying. And so he kind of makes a defense, like, for him and for the people that he has a place to at least make his, his case be known. And then he focuses on scriptures that the Jews would have readily known that would have been applicable not only to the situation that was going on, but also um, to where they needed to be and how they needed to respond. Not, all, not just sitting there with like Joel and not just saying, you know, for all who call on the name of the Lord must be saved, but then linking it to the fact that Jesus, whom you guys know, was sent from God, who was resurrected, and let me go to some scripture and talk about why the resurrection is reasonable and understood by you devout Jews. And let me pull these things together. And let me like now just give you the whole message and say, like, listen, you're responsible for his death. And what are you going to do with it? And they're like, I don't know. What should I do? And he's like, that's a great, great question. Let me answer that. You need to be, you need to repent. You need to be baptized. And you need to now, you know, be discipled. And then we're going to see that uh, next week. Um, into you know what Jesus had come to do and to taught to teach. As long as we kind of use that, and we'll see you know Peter how he dealt with this crowd, and we'll see other places where different apostles will um, address the crowds. Uh, Peter's going to make another address uh, in, in a chapter or two. Paul will make an address at different times, and we'll see like how they do that, and to know that there's not always like one method in order to you know uh, evangelize or to talk to people. Um, sometimes, you know, if people say, I was talking to a friend that said he's, uh, he's a part of this forum, you know, I guess, I don't know, for intellectuals or something, and, you know, they, and, and it's like made up of some Christians, but some agnostics, and so one guy was asking him a question, he says, do you really believe these things, you know, kind of like, and he, he did it in a mocking tone, do you really believe that some man and woman were placed in some, you know, magical garden, and this fruit that they ate caused the entire world you know, and he's like, his response was yes. <laughs> like, you're going to say it in a mocking tone, but let me just say yes. And so, if you want to know more, I can explain more. But if you just want to dismiss it, you know, like, just mocking the way, you know, what we're saying is not necessarily always the best track. And so, uh, there's different ways to address the crowds depending on who you're talking about. Eric? Yeah. I don't think it was that way. I think they were they were simply put simply hungry. And they were they were they were pleading, realizing they were in a sin, they that they had an opportunity. How do we become part of this? What do we do? And they were they were afraid that they realized that they were not where they should be. Yes. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I'm sorry if I, if I made it seem like casual, like, you know, so what is the next step? You know, what box do I check now? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like, so what, what do we, like, what do I do? Um, what do we do about this? Because, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like they understand, like, if you, got, if you got pulled over and a police officer said you were, you know, 
you just you just ran you know this light and you know it's in a restricted zone and the fine for that I could throw you in jail and you're like I had no idea you know something that maybe like you didn't know previously and now it's brought to your attention and you're like well, what do we do what do I do like because yeah you you have that fear of like I am guilty I'm responsible and I want to make be right yeah. Mm-hmm. He goes to Joel, he goes to David, and he, he positions who, what God did, which was prophesied about Jesus, and then he says, it's God's purpose, Yeah. and then he says, but you're all guilty, and you know, I, you know, growing up Catholic, it was like, you know, you're a sinner with him, you know, that's all I heard many years, eventually I got the message, but to me, this is almost like the full gospel. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. And and I think for each one of us, you know, we ident- we should identify we identify with that. I mean, if we truly are a follower of Christ, like at some point it wasn't just like, yeah, I guess that makes sense, you know. All right. I guess I should start going to church. I mean, you know, at some point, you know, there is a there is a conviction of sin. Exactly. Exactly. Which is what you know. Another reason why Joel, the message that he said was like, you know, there's going to be dreams, there's going to be this judgment, and they're like, yeah, we've heard that before, you know. And as he's kind of walking them through that, like, you know, I, I need to be a, need to be a part of that. <coughs> and so that was that was Peter's apologetic. We're going to see that a little bit, you know, when we get to Paul's, like I said in Acts 17. It's kind of interesting, you know, how he addresses a Gentile crowd, but he gets to the same same points. And he just does it in a little different way. He doesn't address them with their scriptures. Uh, or, or the Jewish scriptures, he, he does it in, in a little different way. So it's kind of interesting. But that's how, that's how Peter's apologetic, and it's a pretty solid apologetic about how we address people. We also see um, Peter's main emphasis. His main emphasis was the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus died and he was raised again, and, and there's proof of that, or there was, uh, you know, that David had talked about um, not uh, seeing death, not seeing Hades, and so, and he was not talking about himself, but talking about someone else, <clears throat> because he says David was actually buried, and we can go to his tomb and see it today. And so he's like, he must have been talking about someone else. And so that's what that's where he's, uh, you know, you know, Peter's main emphasis though is the resurrection. Paul's main emphasis when he in the, to the uh, church in Corinth was like, if the resurrection didn't happen, you know, we're all fools for it. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about a geographic area of about from here to our old church property. Okay. And you got all these thousands. 
thousands of people here. Jesus, you know, and the place where the graveyard was, that graveyard is still there today. And, uh, I mean, it's just right outside the walls. It's right next, right above the Garden of Gethsemane. It's all right there together. So, you know, just imagine, you know, you're walking down the street, and it's noon, it turns dark, the ground shakes, bodies are coming out of the grave, and here you are, you know, just, it's not like this happened in Texas, for, you know, because we see, have to see that on the news. This was between here and Arnold Mill Road. Over yeah. There, you know, and all of these people. Yeah, and, and again, that's that's just kind of like the kind of why I wanted to do the whole thing together is like that whole emotional emphasis, like you know everything coming to bear. But Peter doesn't let them off the hook, right? He's like, "You're responsible for this." He doesn't say like, "Yeah, we'll think about it," and you know, we can talk later, a little bit later. Like he's like, uh, you know, God has used him to. Yeah, because they had, they had dispersed, and then they're kind of now like being discipled by Jesus. And so for some, it might have been answers that they were seeking, you know, that they had maybe put a pause on uh, that, that Peter is, is emphasizing. Um, how did they respond? So just real quickly, there was a recognition of wrong, right? That, you know, what do we need to do? There was a need for repentance that Peter says, you need to repent and, uh, and follow Christ. And then affirmation of their faith through baptism. And then in God's plan is that many weren't saved. You know, it's kind of interesting when you pause, pause, you know, thinking about that, is that many weren't saved by Jesus' teaching, right? And we think about kind of numbers, you know, and that's, that's the thing, was Jesus successful in ministry? And so that's not what I'm getting at there. But many weren't saved by Jesus' teaching, right? And, you know, some were like offended and people were still kind of processing you know, so it wasn't Jesus who was probably the, you know, if we think who would be the most capable of, you know, preaching a message, it was Peter who hadn't taught anything, really. Um, and again, seven weeks ago, he was the one who was like running and, you know, denying Jesus. Uh, that God uses him to, to speak this message and people, it, it clicks with that person at that particular time. And circumstances sometimes change the hardest of sinners, right? They had, seven weeks ago, some of them had, had been shouting, put him to death, Right, and then now they're they're coming to grips with that, and so even as we think about those that we minister to or those that we know that aren't saved, it may not be through us, it may be through somebody else, and it may not be at this time that there may be a particular circumstance, and we again reflect back on our own lives and look at our own lives and say, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't this person, it was that person, but that other person was ringing, echoing in my ears, and it wasn't at that time. It, it needed to be when God you know, sovereignly ordain these things to happen. So, I don't know, that was a lot, and I, you know, we went a little bit, a little bit long, but I want to at least kind of package that together, you know, instead of breaking it up, um, as Peter kind of preached that. And we're going to see now what the church looks like in its early stages. All right, we'll kind of rewrap that up uh, next week and, uh, and continue moving on, so...